0: All right, you ready for, <laughs> ready to get preached at? Yeah. You ready for that? You know, I've mentioned this before, and it kind of cracks me up. You know, I, How many had speech in high school? Anybody have speech? College, maybe? Remember when you did that persuasive speech? Oh, yeah. Remember that? Every week. That's what I do every week. Yeah. <laughs> and I think about that, and I pray, God, what are you, what are you wanting to say? What are, you, what are you wanting to do here? You know, and I, I, have, I have these, I, so many things, you know, that God is speaking, and I feel like it's going on, and... Um, I feel like, you know, as Frank was talking about this harvest that's coming, that's real. God is moving. And there's so many things that I see happening in our world. And, and sometimes I think you can get kind of back on your heels and like, oh, God, what's going on? The world is falling apart. And I feel like he says, I, I know. <laughs> you know. He knows. Not only does he know, but he cares. And he cares. And what he does is he rises up against that. And he, he depends on us to do that. You know, I, I, I pray about people I know who are lost and, and lost individuals. And I think I shared this in here. One, one time in one of our, we do prayer every, six, every Wednesday at 6 o'clock, and one of, the, one of the dear ladies in there prayed for Putin to get saved. Yes. And I thought, you know, I've never prayed for that up until then. I pray, for him, I pray for his salvation every single day now. And I never did that until whenever that was, three months ago. And I thought, God, why have I never done that? And he, <laughs> I felt like he said, yeah, why not? I told you to do that, you know. Why not? Why don't we do that? And as you, as not only you pray for the harvest to come in, but I feel like God is, is I, this is my sense, that this harvest is going to be different than maybe ones in the past. And I think it's going to be different yet the same. It's going to be the way he intended from the beginning that you share with people you know. And maybe you're thinking, you're thinking, I don't know anybody who needs Jesus. But you do, you, you, you do actually. You run into people all the time who desperately need him. You know family members. You have friends maybe at work or school and they know you and they know your life. And because of that, you have, you have respect from them that, I, you know, for instance, I would never have. You're in the right place at the right time. So what I want to do today is I want to give you just some tools for you to be able to not only to grow your faith, but to share your faith. So... I I was talking with somebody, this has been like about six weeks ago. And as we were talking, they were just saying, I just don't know what to say. And I've had people say, you know, crazy things like Jesus didn't even exist. And I said, really? Did you ask them to tell you why they think that? Because if somebody says something like that, you just kind of ask them, well, why do you you think that? Because if they make a claim like that, it's really on them to back up their claim. But here's the facts. The facts is we know Jesus existed. There's no question about it. We have four excellent gospel eyewitness accounts of his life and everything he did and said. And when I say that, I just want to make sure you understand what I mean by that. You know, I I think we're very familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And a lot of times we'll talk about them being in the Bible. But people out in the world, a lot of times they'll say, well, that's the Bible. Of course they're going to say he's real. Yeah, but you, you can say that. But if you do that, you're not really being fair to the literature itself because they are really true, genuine eyewitness accounts. Now I read that, and I, I, it makes sense to me, but if you 're not familiar with this there 's this l a uh, p d cold case detective named james, uh, james warner Wallace he actually that 's one of the reasons he was raised he, he was an atheist that 's one of the reasons that he stopped and said, "Wait a minute, this is probably true because as a trained detective, he looked at the Gospels and he said, "These are classic eyewitness accounts, and if you 're following along in our, in your if you have you version." And you go into the menu, you can hit events, And when you do hit events, it should pop up with our church location. If you're out of town, just put in our zip code 64064. And when that pops up, you'll see in there, and I put a link to a video of of him talking about this. And what he talks about from his police perspective is he says this. When he looks at the eyewitness accounts, like, say, Matthew's account, he reads it and he sees details that have the hallmarks of genuineness that he gets when he's interviewing maybe a suspect or a witness in a case. Then when he looks at the book of Mark, he sees things in Mark that he didn't see in Matthew. Now, some people look at that and they say, well, see, it's a contradiction because Mark didn't write it the same way Matthew did. But yet, a trained detective looks at it and says, no, that's how eyewitnesses do. This eyewitness saw it from a different perspective. They told the same story, and then those stories actually match up in ways that we don't always notice. I'll give you just a couple examples. One of them is this. You remember as Jesus was being beaten before his crucifixion, in one of the Gospels it says that they they beat him and then they say prophesy tell us who hit you and you may read that and think well he's looking right at him he could tell you who hit him but in the other gospel it says they blindfolded him and did it we that other gospel actually gives you the reason that this gospel gives that that interesting detail that kind of thing happens all the time in the new testament and that alone was one of the things that for him as a police detective he said you know what these are real eyewitness accounts, but we don't even have to stop there because there's at least 10, more than 10, a biblical witness or outside the Bible witnesses that Jesus lived and died and what he did. What's cool about these two is some of them, the Roman, there, there was Tacitus and Pliny the Younger and Suetonius and Mara Serapion and Clement and Ignatius, all Romans. They're not Christians, but they're writing about the, about the Christian church. There was Jewish sources like the Talmud and then Josephus who was a Jew that the, that the Romans captured. He was actually a Jewish uh, uh, officer in the military but then when he was captured he offered to write a history of the Jewish people for the Romans. And he talked specifically about Jesus. Here's what's cool about those outside the gospel accounts. They, they actually corroborate all of the main uh, characteristics and doctrines of Christianity. You wouldn't think that but they do. So they say things like this. There was a man by the name of Christ who lived during the times of Tiberius. Uh, Jesus was a wise man, described by the populace as virtuous, a worker of miraculous deeds. They say he's the brother of John. Pontius Pilate was responsible for his death. He was killed on the eve of Passover. The method of death was crucifixion. His followers claimed he resurrected. He was the Messiah and that he was God. And he had followers who spread all over Judea and even into Rome. What's cool about that is there's no doubt he existed. So then what happens is people say this. They'll say this, but what's the big deal about Jesus? I mean, why is he so special? When I was writing the sermon, I actually was going to call it Radical Jesus. And all the worship songs today were just blowing me away because there's so much about Jesus. I mean, he created everything. But think about this for a second. Think about how radical he is. I was going to call it Radical Jesus, and then I decided to change it. I, I called it instead, Overwhelmed by Jesus. Because the more I think about him, the more I am just overwhelmed. I'm blown away by who he is. And he, he was radical then, and he's still radical. But here's the thing. We can easily miss how radical Jesus was. And there's some reasons for that, good reasons. One reason is that you know none of us lived in the first century when Jesus was walking on earth. So because we didn't live in the time, we miss some of the things that Jesus says that would have been huge and radical to them. There's times, too, where I feel like we don't really know Judaism well because And we know a lot about it. I mean, we have the Old Testament, but because we're not Jews and we do not practice Judaism, some of the things Jesus says we celebrate, but a Jew would have been blown away. There's things, too, we don't understand the Roman Empire. You know, we kind of glorify it. And, you know, in fact, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of our sports teams have those, you know, like gladiators and that kind of look. And so I think because of that, we miss some of it. But the bigger reason I think what happens is we get used to reading the stories. And so maybe you were raised in church or maybe you've been around Christianity enough or you've heard the stories so much that you, you just become too familiar with them. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like they're not special anymore. It's almost like you have to go back and kind of wash your brain of everything you ever heard before and then read it in a new light. And when you do, you'll be blown away by who Jesus is. It's incredible. It's almost like he's become too familiar. So let me just say it this way if you can group him with other religious leaders, you don't really know him. If you can say something like this, if you can can not be offended or corrected by his teachings, I don't know if you really know him. If you're not overwhelmed by his radical love and his sacrificial love for us, I don't think you know him really. Let's think about this for a second. Other religious leaders, what they do is they point to their teachings. They say, go this way, follow me, do this. That's not what Jesus did. What Jesus said is, I am it. Some of these leaders, they'll say, do good or be good or dress a certain way or, or endure this kind of pain or pay for your sins in some way. You have to work your way to get to God. The Buddha said that existence was suffering and caused by one's attachment to earthly things. And if you only followed the Eightfold path perfectly enough, you could attain a separation from the world. Islam literally means submission. If you follow the five pillars, professing the faith, prayer, giving alms, fasting, pilgrimage, you might make it. Because Allah decides no matter what. They're not guaranteed salvation. All those things are really they're, what most people think of as religion. They're rules that we follow to try to make ourselves good enough to be accepted by God. You've heard this so much that it probably feels cliche, but this is what I want you to do today. I want you to step back from what you've heard all your life and see it again in a new way. All that religion stuff is important to follow things, but for us, it's not about following the rules. It's about a relationship with the creator of the rules. There's a difference there because once you have the relationship, nobody has to tell you the rules anymore. You want to do them. You want to be the best rule follower because you love the person who made the rules. You care about him like that. And because of that, no one has to say, do this, follow this, walk this way, dress Because you want to, everything changes. It's a whole different perspective. Everything changes. Think of it like this. Religion's like this. I messed up. Dad's going to be mad. Where Christianity says, I messed up. I need to go see dad. See the difference? We have a father who literally pursues us for relationship. And then he, he provides the way for forgiveness. It's just, it's so mind blowing. It's just, it's overwhelming to think about this. The relationship we have with him makes us want to do good works. And those do good works are just about how radical Jesus is. It's overwhelmed by who he is. Jesus didn't stop there, though. He said things that were crazy radical. In the book of John, there's seven times where he uses this phrase. He says, I am. It's hard for us to even fully comprehend what that meant to the Jews because if you were a Jew, you would have been raised your whole life studying, for instance, Moses and how he brought the Jews out of Egypt and how Moses, when he heard from God, it was a burning bush, a bush that was burning but not consumed with fire. And when he went to the bush and the voice from the bush said, You're going to set my people free, he, Moses asked him, Who do I say is telling me this? It's almost like, who, who are you? And God answers him and he says, Tell him the I am has sent me, has sent you. I am. That, that phrase is so full of meaning. And we've said it so many times, we've, we forget how powerful the meaning is. The meaning is so deep, it's so vast. What it's saying is, I am self-existent. I am the very definition of God. Nobody started me. I never had a beginning. I have no end. I'm present. I'm future. I'm past. I'm all of it. I am. None of us can say that. We can say I am now, but we can't say I am forever. And Moses fully understood that, and every Jew understood that. So in Jesus, in in John 6, when he says, I am the bread of life, they were blown away. Because when he said, I am, that alone would have been enough. But then he claimed to be the bread of life. And this was right after he fed 5,000. What he was telling them is, I am the sustainer of all life. I am. He's showing them who he is. He's God. Then he says in John 8, I am the light of the world. He doesn't stop with just being the sustainer with the bread. He says that he is the very light of the world. Then he says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the protector. I am the one that they come in and out through. I am the only way. Then he says, I am the good shepherd. In other words, he's the one who cares for the flock. The Jews would have been stepped back and they say, no, God is our shepherd. Jesus was saying, it was so radical. I am your God and I am your shepherd. He went on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this was right before he resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And he had talked to Mary and Martha. And you know that story where he hesitated. He didn't go right away. And then when he did, he went and talked first. Mary sees him and says, oh, if only you were here. Then Martha says, if only you were here. And he says to Martha, do you believe that I'm the resurrection? And she said, well, yeah, I know everybody's going to be resurrected later. Then he says this, I am the resurrection. Do you realize the power of what he's saying there? Not only is he claiming that I am title of God, but he's telling her, I resurrect life, life itself. We've read those stories so many times we forget how astounding it is. And then as he walks over to the grave, where the tomb where Lazarus was, and he says, roll away the stone. And they say, "Uh, it's been four days. He's going to smell. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And then they got at least part of what he meant, but they, fo- they couldn't fully have understood what he was saying because he goes on and he says, I am the true vine. I'm the one who gives you life-sustaining power to give you life. I, you are connected to me and I am connected to the Father. It doesn't end there. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way. This would have been so mind-blowing. Jesus' sacrifice is the way to salvation. He doesn't point the way. He is the way. He himself is the way. Salvation alone is through him. He suffered the ultimate punishment that we deserved. And in the end, an end to suffering will only come in the afterlife. Paul wrote it like this in the book of Romans. He says, the scriptures say, no one's righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. But we are made right with God by placing faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. No matter who we are. Jesus' teachings are radical. Absolutely radical. The Sermon on the Mount. He talks about in, in, in chapter 5. He says, he says, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I'm telling you that you're if you, uh, but I say to you, even if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Do you see how radical that is? How many times you've been angry and you've, you've, you've justified it by saying, well, it's a righteous anger. <laughs> he, he didn't leave room for that. He he goes on in verse 23, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, at the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, to leave your sacrifice there. In other words, making amends like that with somebody was more important than your sacrifice. Forgiveness for him is radical. (laughs) gets better. You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think for us, it's hard to even imagine what Jesus was saying because we live in their world. We don't live in a world where we had Roman soldiers walking around and they can make you carry their things or they can make you put them up in in your home or they they could take whatever you had. The brutality of that environment, those were real clear enemies, let alone the enemies you just have in your normal life. And Jesus says, no, you love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. That is radical. In chapter 6, he goes on and he says, forgive those who sin against you. Your heavenly father will not forgive you. If you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. I don't know about you, but that hurts, doesn't it? We, 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 we hold on to unforgiveness because we feel like we deserve it because whatever happened was so bad. If you only knew. You're right. I, I don't know all the details, but I do know this. I know that we serve a God who's forgiven us and he requires that kind of forgiveness back to other people. He cares about our relationships like that. Pastor Nick, if I could get you to join me up here. Chapter 619, he says, don't store up treasures here on earth. He says, wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. Yeah, it's radical then, it's radical now. Most people think the only thing that matters is your bank account and what you can, how much freedom it gives you and and how much security it gives you. But he's saying, no, your security is in me, not in those things. We call it the golden rule. But when he said, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And then he said, the essence of all that is taught in the law and prophets is that one verse. That was radical. Radical. Because they thought that all those rules were important to follow, each and every one. And he said, no, it's about the relationships. And if your heart is right, you're going to follow the rules. So if you treat people the way that I want you to treat them, then they're going to treat you right. And relationships will be right. Let me just say it this way. If you're not overwhelmed by his radical love, I don't know that you really know him. This human nature we have, it's selfish. It's about self-preservation, right? Survival of the fittest. Somebody here might die for someone who deserves it, but God showed his great love for us that while we are still sinners, he died for us. Jesus, when he was on the cross, said, Father, forgive them if they don't know what they're doing. It's after the flogging, after the humiliation, nailed to a tree, created by hands that he created think about that it blows me away that radical forgiveness I'm not trying to be like extra graphic or anything but they generally strip them naked can't, I can't imagine our Lord in that humiliation it just breaks my heart to think he went through that at all but he did it for you and that while he did it he forgave the ones who did it to him and I I'm not that good could, could you do that? His love is radical. And he said this, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This cam- commandment I received from my father. He goes on. He says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a second. I've asked you today, just these few minutes, to just re-envision stories you've heard all your life and re-envision the way God is. So what do you do with all this? Are you overwhelmed by it? I am overwhelmed by it today, by who he is and what he's done. I'm overwhelmed. Are you amazed by Jesus, this Jesus we are saying his name earlier after worship, and it just was speaking so loudly. He is overwhelming. He's amazing. He's bigger than you can ever imagine. He's so radical the way he does. The forgiveness is radical. The sacrifice is radical. Don't you feel compelled to worship him in everything that he is? Do you feel eager to bring your needs to him? Because he's someone who cares. Don't you want everyone to know him too? With your eyes closed, your heads bowed for a moment. I ask you to do this just for privacy. I mean, this is really between you and God. I don't I don't need to see hands. You you have to deal with God yourself. But I have a question for you. In these short few minutes I've just described Jesus and how radical he is and how how upside down and how How caring and loving and kind. I'm just wondering if there's someone here today and maybe you have known about him but you don't know him, not really know him and you want to today. You want to start a relationship with him today that would last forever, forever and ever. Anybody like that, you would just raise your hand we'll pray with you. Simple prayer. We'll just pray that prayer of forgiveness Anybody at all? Well, praise God. I'm glad that you all know him. Let me ask one more question while your heads are still bowed. I'm assuming you want to worship him. I'm assuming you are compelled to, to just praise him and thank him for who he is. But I'm just wondering, don't you know somebody who else who needs to know This harvest we keep talking about, it's, he is the Lord of the harvest. He says, call for workers in the fields. That's us. Does anybody know somebody that needs to know him? Would you just raise your hand if you have somebody in your mind? It's a lot of hands up. I I see that. I want to do this with us today. I'd like you to go ahead and stand, if you would. And I want to invite... We have a prayer team, people who are prepared to pray for you, pastors, their wives, the board, their spouses. If you are here and and ready to pray, if you would come down real quick. I'm going to do two things. First thing is this. If you are here today and you need prayer for anything at all, anything, if you need prayer for healing, if you need prayer for a, a life situation that is overwhelming, if you need... If you need prayer to just help for boldness to be able to share your faith with somebody and you want someone to stand and pray with you, I want you to come down too. If you just need prayer that you feel like God, you need a blessing from Him today. If you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you want to uh, receive the gift of, of tongues or any other gift of the Spirit. But I also want to pray for whoever it is that you know. So let me invite you, if you need prayer for anything this is your time. Come on out. Just step out and come on down for prayer. There's people coming. As they're coming and they're receiving prayer at the front, I just want to pray for the rest of us. Those of you who have raised your hands and you raise your hand in needing prayer or that you know somebody that needs Jesus, I want us to pray for them, for that person by name. I want us to pray for that person. So with that person on your mind right now, I'm going to lead in prayer for the whole congregation here, for those people who you know need Jesus right now. So join me in that prayer as these at the front are praying for others. Father, we lift up your holy name. We are so grateful for Jesus. I'm blown away by Jesus and who he is and what he's done. I'm blown away by his sacrifice, and I'm blown away by the radical teaching God, I feel compelled to to worship Him. I feel compelled to follow Him. God, I feel compelled to tell others about Him because they need to know Him. They need to know the freedom. They need to need the joy. They need forgiveness. God, they need Him so desperately. I pray for each and every one of those people, whoever it is that was on our minds right now. I pray, God, that You would create opportunities. I pray, God, that there would be times where we could tell them about you. And I pray, Father, that you would open their hearts to you, melt their hearts, whatever questions they have, that you would gently answer those. And I pray as your Holy Spirit deals with them, that you help us to be bold and faithful to be able to share that faith. God, we give you the praise and glory for those things and for their lives and their souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. These at the front are going to continue to pray. I want to remind you that we're going to celebrate Debbie. And somebody asked me, hey, I didn't sign up. It's okay. Please come and help us celebrate her. That'll be in the gym um, right now. So God bless you today.